0: Welcome to Vet Voices, a podcast produced by Warner Enterprises, where average is for other people. Army, Marines, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, let your voice be heard on Warner's Veteran Podcast. Now buckle up and get ready for the host of Vet Voices, Greg, Johnny, and Adam we do not have Greg came in the room with us today, uh, but we do have Ed Frazier and Johnny, uh, Ed is the founder of American heroes park volunteers and also a retired air force officer. So Ed, why don't you tell us a little about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, first, uh, thanks for having me really appreciate it. Um, so who am I Ed Frazier? I, uh, uh, as you mentioned, 20 year, uh, now retired air force officer and, uh, Turned defense contractor, so basically shed the uniform and went right back to work. Hopefully, uh, twice as, as much money. Uh, yeah, maybe. I, <laughs> the The pay is nice, but uh, uh, honestly, the service is even better. Yeah. So uh, yeah, retired in 2019. Uh, went on as a defense contractor, and uh, obviously stayed in the local area. And uh, yeah, life life is good.
0: Good deal. Where were you stationed?
1: So. Um, so I was stateside for all of my permanent assignments. Plenty of deployments, we'll get into that. But uh, yeah, I started, um, I did tech school in Texas, and then from there went to Virginia, uh, Nevada, Florida, Georgia, back to Texas, and then to Nebraska.
0: Okay. So if you retired in 19 with 20, you mm-hmm. got in a couple in, of years before 9-11. That's right, yeah. Okay. What yeah, was I, that shift like, seeing it pre and post, all of my service was post?
1: Yeah, so um, so I, I graduated from the Air Force Academy in 99, uh, summer of 99, and uh, by the time I got to my first real duty station after tech school, so that was in Virginia, uh, it was what, summer of 2000, so about a year later. Um, and the mission that I rolled into uh, was really in support of Operation Southern Watch and Northern Watch, mostly over Iraq, enforcing UN Security Council resolution. Uh, and although we, as we say, we were going kinetic, right, we were, we were dropping bombs from, from time to time, um, it, it was really a, a UN focus. Uh, and then, of course, 9 nine eleven happened. All hell broke loose. Uh, and we shifted our focus overnight. Um, so it was a, a pretty drastic change from what we were doing. Lots
0: more ordnance? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, so career intelligence officer um, for the Air Force. And is that, I, I don't know, I have... I have a lot of friends that are uh, Intel smart folks that know a lot about systems and sensors and all that type of stuff. Yeah, And that that's along the lines of what you did when you were in the Air Force, right? Yeah. Any, anything you can share on what an what Air Force intelligence officer really does. I, I very quickly think of James Bond, but then also think of my <laughs> reward experience of some widget on a plane that's collecting some type of information that then gets expanded upon.
1: Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, forget all the James Bond stuff right there. There is some of that. I did not do that. Um, yeah, my focus was, uh, was really the latter of what you explained. Uh, we've got a number of, uh, of aircraft in the air force fleet and really joint, right. Army, Navy, air force, um, all sorts of different things that we can, we can pull from. They're loaded with sensors. Uh, we collect on the adversary, and then analyze that data, give it to the decision makers, and as you mentioned just a minute ago, uh, let them drop bombs. Good deal.
0: All right, so how'd your experience in the Air Force uh, shape your perspective on GWAT, right? So GWAT, Global War on Terror, uh, which is effectively the period of war that we're in now. Uh, President Bush declared Global War on Terror post 9-11, and we're still in that. Timeline, I believe. I don't think we've ended GWAT officially. I think that's still open. So, what's your perspective on that? At twenty-year guy who's deployed multiple times, who's seen a lot of that transpire. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts?
1: Um. So my uh, as I as I mentioned, when I when I came in in '99 uh, and really. Got operational around 2000. Uh, it, it, it's hard to even imagine to go back to that point pre 9 11, right? What was our focus then? Uh, yeah, we were we were doing this thing in Iraq, um, but of course the you know Soviet Union had long since fallen, so that wasn't so much an issue. Um, but I'll but I'll tell you the the attacks on 9 11. Uh, from just from my perspective gave us a laser focus we went from yep we're doing lots of training but yeah we've got the stuff over in the Middle East we're we're taking care of that Uh, but 9-11 happened gave us focus gave us purpose uh, and there was no doubt in anybody's mind waking up every single day why are we going to work what exactly are we focused on today uh, what What is our mission? That was always very clear. Um, and we were, uh, I'll, I'll say we were fortunate to have that focus uh, and really throughout my entire career. So just based on the timing, right, coming in uh, right before 9-11 and then I served 20 until 2019, almost that entire time was in support of the global war on terror. Uh, so to, to... To even ask, right? Did it, well? How did it shape your perspective? No, that that is my perspective. That's really almost all I know in the military, um,
0: and still to this day, right? You're you're still actively involved in that service today, but just not wearing uniform.
1: Yeah, so um, definitely a different focus out of uniform, uh, where I am no longer engaged in real time, real world operations. Uh, I'm I'm more focused on supporting that um, and I'll even say from from a distance right my my day-to-day job is far removed from uh, from anything China Russia continued global war on terror uh, so I'm very 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 much rear echelon um, and that and that's okay I'm right totally comfortable with that
0: absolutely yeah and there's a part that has to be played in the rear as well, right? That's an sure. important yeah. part of what's going on in the front as well.
1: Yeah, so my, my focus now, um, obviously without getting into too much detail, is really uh, what capabilities do we have now and how do we improve upon those capabilities, develop new capabilities for what we could encounter in the future.
0: So let's shift a little bit and talk about what you're doing in Bellevue. What you yeah. want to give us a an overview of your efforts over the last couple of years and what you're trying to build in Bellevue?
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I'll go back just brief history, way more than just a couple of years. Um, so my my personal background with Bellevue, really with the Omaha metro area, uh, is what we could say about thirty five years. Okay. Right. So I was here as a kid. Um I I grew up in the Air Force right dad was career air force um so he was stationed at off I was here as a kid in the mid to late 80s um and then in what was it in 96 mom and dad uh, dad retired out of DC and he and my mom came back here to fully retire um so from then until now right making trips coming back home seeing mom and dad that kind of thing so I've been associated with the with the area for for that long. For since, a long time, yeah. Since the '80s, um, in 2016, I got orders to come to Offit, and I knew that was going to be my last assignment um, by choice. Right, I was coming up on 20. Um, like we said in 2019, I retired, right. um, and so as I as I started working through that mental transition. Hey, okay, we're going to off it. I'm going to retire in two and a half years. And then what, what are my next steps? Uh, and I, I did not have a clear vision except for one thing. Um, and I, and I don't want this to sound cavalier or, or nonchalant, but right in the military, we have a a unique mission, as we say, killing people and breaking things. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had been doing or at least supporting that for 20 years. And, as I rolled up on retirement, I wanted a pretty drastic shift. I wanted to be constructive. I wanted to build rather than destroy. Um, and I, I know that sounds a little awkward, um, but it's a really but, easy but way to
0: summarize what what happens, though. Right? Yes. That that shift I think is important. The the toll of killing people and breaking things, right, is is a heavy toll, and I think it is awesome to be able to recognize that you want that shift. I think that we would be yep. in a, a, a better place, m- mental health perspective-wise, if right. people <laughs> would understand the toll yeah. and understand that a shift is important and that it's not stuff that we should be doing forever. Exactly, uh, it's yeah. necessary. Yep. It's it's a must, especially from a national security standpoint, but. If there's a toll associated. So kudos for recognizing that the necessary shift.
1: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it was a necessary shift, at least in in my career and my right. personal life. Um, and so, as I was saying, as as I started thinking about retirement, what does that mean? What kind of transition am I going to go through? Um, and where do I want to recapitalize my time? When I was in uniform, you know, working 10, 12 hours a day when I'm in garrison, working nonstop, non-stop. Right? just whatever. There's no clock when, when you're deployed. Um, and I knew that I was going to come up on an opportunity, um, to, <laughs> to not work those type of hours. Uh, and, and so where do I want to put that time that I'm going to have? Uh, number one, definitely my family. Uh, but really to the point of what we're talking about today uh, is community service, volunteerism, giving back to an area that I knew as a kid. I know this area has a deep history with the military, generous support of the military. And so how do I tap into that? How do I give back to the community that has given so much to the military in terms of support? Um so as I was, uh, as I was working through all of that, um, just, uh, I, I, really don't know how this part came about, but I, I ended up in touch with Bellevue parks, um, and was just interested in, Hey, where are the parks, how many, so on and so forth. It, it was just something that I kind of stumbled into, um, just a, a, an interest of mine and, as a kid, I was familiar with Hayworth Park, which is right up against the Missouri River uh, in Bellevue, right before you cross the toll bridge into Iowa. And when I, when I was growing up, north of that was a place called the Kramer Power Plant. And what I didn't realize in my time away from this area uh, was that uh, they had raised the Kramer power plant leveled it and turned it into this place called American heroes park. And that really caught my attention just on the name alone. So, uh, so then I, I got in touch with Bellevue parks, learned more about that. And in having those discussions, uh, a buddy of mine who became a buddy of mine, Brian Madison was the park soup at the time. Um, I learned that <laughs> Bellevue, Bellevue has, um, uh, More public parks than it has resources to care for Um, and that's a a heck of a dilemma but what I was interested in is uh, approaching Brian and asking hey how can how can I help your under-resourced department take care of these parks what is it that I can do to lighten the load just as a as a volunteer Um, and and fair warning about who you're dealing with I will do anything that the city allows me to Uh, so we had that discussion
0: mission mission oriented Yep. right yep absolutely point point me in the direction
1: yeah yeah if you if you want me to help awesome i'm here Um, kindly step aside and, and let me at it right yeah um so we uh we had that discussion we we stood up uh as you mentioned american heroes park volunteers uh, which is it sounds way more organized than it is to be honest with you. It is uh, we are going to create an opportunity to care for the park, a variety of projects, and whoever shows up that day, uh, you are an American Heroes Park volunteer. Right, it, it's that simple. Um, so we we adopted the park through the city's adopt a park program, uh, and one of the one of the first projects that we took on was. Uh, kind of sprucing up an area uh, that is part of a 9-11 memorial, right? And that's, that's where we really get into how did all of this unfold. Uh, there, there is a 9-11 memorial in American Heroes Park created by the Kiwanis Club of Bellevue. And uh, there are some rose beds at the base of it. of kind of sets into a small hill in the park. And at the base of the hill are these rose beds uh, and they, they were pretty weeded over um, and just needed some some care.
0: Again, right. volunteers, right? More, more yeah. parks than they can care for. Yep,
1: yep, <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, so we started uh, resetting pavers and weeding and mulching and feeding the roses, all that kind of stuff. And, we're, you know, we're doing this um, whenever we can on the weekends, you know, a couple weeks here, a couple weeks there. Time goes on, and uh, and I'm 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 kind of standing back from the work that we're doing, and I'm looking up this small hill. At the top of the hill are two really tall flagpoles flying the American flag, symbolic of the of the World Trade Center, the two towers. Uh, that is part of the memorial, and I just had this um, kind of I'm just going to call it an artistic vision. Of a wall that stands behind these two flagpoles, uh, that recognizes Nebraskans lost in the war on terror. So there's this 9/11 memorial, and I thought, man, we got a, we need a global war on terror for Nebraskans that complements this existing 9/11 memorial. Um, so that's that's kind of how the how the project came to be. Okay, okay.
0: Um, fascinating. So, you said the two flagpoles and a wall. Describe it. Describe it a bit more. Tell yes. us. Tell us more about what in your artistic vision, right, in state. What does this thing look like? what What's the What's on the front of the wall? What's on the back of the wall? What do the walls look like? Yeah, all that jazz.
1: Yeah, you bet. Um, so first on the on the existing nine eleven memorial, like I said, it's kind of set into a, a small hill. Um, two flagpoles at the top. Again, symbolic of the towers. Um, set into the hillside itself is a uh, a concrete model of the Pentagon, and then in the center of the Pentagon is the number ninety three for the United Flight right. ninety three that went down. Um, so those are all the components, and and then of course the rose beds right at the at the base. Those are all the components of the nine eleven memorial. Now for the Global War on Terror memorial, uh, the what. What made sense to me um, artistically was was really just to borrow from almost everybody's experience and familiarity. Anybody who has deployed to the Middle East is familiar with really tall concrete barriers that we use for mostly for blast protection, uh, and we call them T-walls. They're just tall concrete walls, and there are millions of them. Everywhere.
0: It, it, it's probably billions. It's, right. yeah. You can't you can't go anywhere where there's an American in Afghanistan or Iraq yep. without being near a T roll at some point, to the point yep. where the bazaar on Kandahar would sell them as parting gifts for <laughs> <to> you, <laughs> right. right? So miniature yep. versions. Yep. They would put your squadron patch on the front and then names and dates of service on the back and they would sell them to you for five bucks or ten bucks or whatever it was. Yep. Just as a way to memorialize the the trip, uh, the deployment, and it, it was just funny that that's that concrete structure is what has come to almost every American knows exactly right. what that is if you've deployed in that environment.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, it's iconic. Yes. Right. It's a, it's a no kidding, true symbol of, yep, we're in a deployed environment, got it, T-walls everywhere.
0: Right, and and they work; they're effective. I, I've, I've <laughs> yeah. seen the damage on the second side of it when they get hit with rockets and mortars and all that stuff, and they're probably not going to take a ton of hits, but uh, they'll they'll help you if yep. you need them uh, in the moment. So,
1: yep. yeah, exactly. So that was, uh, yeah. So concrete t walls uh, was the was the starting point, right? That is what this what this memorial will be based off of, um, and so. Uh, so we've got that as a foundation, really, and, and specifically we'll have four of these T-walls uh, abutted uh, across the span behind the flagpoles for the 9-11 memorial. Now, on the front face of the T-walls, so the, the face that you see as you look past these two flagpoles, um, we're going to have granite panels affixed to the concrete, black granite. And mounted on top of those granite panels will be metal panels with the names of Nebraska's heroes, uh, laser cut through those panels, right? So during the day, uh, you'll be able to see those names, read those names up against the black granite, right? That's the backdrop. And then the reason why, really the reason why they, the names are cut through these metal panels, we will backlight them during periods of darkness Uh, and that is really symbolic of the uh, I'll call it the theme uh, that we pick up on from the gold star families never forget so you'll be able to see and read the names during the day you'll be able to see and read the names during periods of darkness Um, and so that's the that's really the gist of the front face of the memorial now, on the back face of the memorial, and there will be a pathway, right? So folks can, right. Can, can walk behind there. On the back face, we start with the same thing, right? You got the, the concrete T walls, you got black granite panels affixed to the, to the concrete, uh, to, the, to the walls. And we're going to etch into the concrete uh, what amounts to a comprehensive history lesson, right? So I mentioned there are going to be four walls, there will be four black granite panels starting from left going to right on the left-hand side we're going to have the essentially a summary of what happened leading up to 9-11 and on 9-11 so that is the 9-11 panel then moving over the next two panels are going to be a again etched into the granite um, a history lesson on all of the named operations that comprise the war on terror dates, names, locations, and kind of a summary of what those operations are. And then the fourth panel is reserved for the, to recognize the gold star families. Uh, and so that that's a, we've got some graphics on there and some, uh, some inspirational quotes. Um, so that's the, again, that's the back face of the memorial. Uh,
0: there's not a comprehensive list of Nebraskans, right? Gold star families are Man. something that... It, I'm sure there's a gold star list somewhere. How, how do you define a Nebraskan gold star? What what does that process look like? How do you... Yep. One, like so I guess I'll split this into two, two questions. One, how many Nebraskans are you aware of? What mm-hmm. How many names are you putting on the memorial? And two, how did you come to that list? That had to be a heck of a challenge in and of itself.
1: Yep, so... Uh, Man, so that that could be a podcast in in and of itself. Oh, I bet. <laughs> um, so uh, so we started doing our research in in earnest in 2017, right? Just getting the idea idea together was one thing, but then okay, now how do we how do we actually do this? Where do we even start uh, if we are going to if our if our point is to recognize by name Nebraskans? Then yeah, to your question. What is a Nebraskan? On the surface, it sounds wonderful, and it's and, and it sounds easy.
0: Is it somebody that was stationed at Offit? Exactly. Is it somebody that was right. born here? Is it somebody that has parents who live here? Is it somebody whose wife lives here because the service member is stationed at Offit? What, what? Surely some lines had to be drawn. Yeah. Uh, man, that's a tough spot.
1: Yeah. So it it becomes very technical. Very quickly, right? Everything that you just mentioned, we' we're, we're asking all of those questions. The overarching question, what is a Nebraskan? Well, yeah, is it is it somebody who was born here? Is it somebody who was laid to rest here? Is it somebody who was not born here but was raised here? Uh, and And the list of questions, as we have discovered, does not end. So we we fell back on, uh one overriding principle um, to really to start with. Does the family consider their hero a Nebraskan? Yes or no? And done. Right? That that makes it easy and allows us to bound this project. Right. As you mentioned, we have to we have to figure out as inclusive as we want to be. Practically and realistically, we have to figure out how to bound this project. Um, And so that was one way of doing it. Beyond that, where we didn't have the family's perspective or opinion, which is actually most of the cases, uh, we have just avoided, if you will, defining a Nebraskan and just learning their personal history, learning about their life. And and making a judgment call about yeah that we think this person is is a Nebraskan um, so that's an imperfect answer it's an imperfect approach we recognize that uh, and that leads to honestly some risk certainly we we obviously don't intend to offend anybody or to exclude um, we're. We are simply just doing the best that we can with the research we have done and the resources we have available. Um, And so per our research, uh, right now we are at 72 Nebraskans that we've identified to be included in the wall. Um, There's another uh, very, uh, I'll say emotionally charged and, and somewhat unfortunately a very technical consideration, and and that is when we say we want to recognize those who died in the war on terror,
0: what does die in the war on terror actually mean? You must have saw my handwriting and uh, scribbling <laughs> that note down, because that's certainly yeah. uh, the the scenario that I very quickly think of is uh, I go to war, I see some horrible terrible things and I come home and I have a fairly significant case of PTSD and that PTSD through a lack of a support network or me making foolish decisions that that becomes a mental health issue that is prevalent right. in my life yeah and then I take my own life God forbid that that happens but that's a fact of the reality of war and the, yep. the nation that we live in today what's that look like for your Memorial.
1: Uh, it looks very difficult to deal with because, as I said, it is clearly an emotionally charged issue. Right? We're we're all, everybody who is involved, uh, is very passionate about what we're doing, and to draw the line somewhere and say, using the example that you just gave, right? Somebody uh somebody had traumatic experiences in the deployed environment came home and very tragically succumbed to that trauma does does that scenario and we have many data points to pull from as you well know uh does that scenario constitute a fatality in the war on terror um and the the short of it is there's absolutely no way to answer that question 100% of the time right there's no there's no checklist we can run there are no absolute criteria we can follow to make that decision and we've we've been through the very uncomfortable discussions with some of the families and loved ones about Well, my, my brother committed suicide. Is he going to be on the wall? And the uncomfortable answer in short is, he is not going to be on the wall. And I have been uh, very surprised by the response that we get, which to date every single time has been okay. I understand what you're telling me and I accept what you're telling me. And just thank you for doing this.
0: Transparency and open, honest communication goes a really long way.
1: Absolutely. Right. So it, you know, that before the first time I ever had that discussion, um, I'm rehearsing it in my head, right? Cause I, I know what's going to come up. And, and you, you try to account for every perspective, every angle, Everything that you can. You can't though. To, you, you can't. You can't. But you you want to do your level best to assuage the family, right? We we intend to be inclusive, but again, we have to also bound the project. And so we were several discussions into this, right, with the various families, um, and, and even just uh local residents, folks who are interested in the project, asking similar questions that you have asked. And we, so we, we did even more research, right, nonstop doing research. And we referenced the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund, uh, which in turn partners with the DOD to figure out what are the criteria for adding or, oddly enough, removing names from the Veterans Memorial in D.C., and there are so the, the veterans the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund does not make the decision about what name goes on the wall or as I said just a second ago, oddly enough, what names come off. The DOD makes that decision. But of interest to us were the criteria that the DOD uses right. what's to the, make that what's decision. What's the
0: checklist on that decision point for whoever in the DOD has that job?
1: Right. So um, yeah, so I, I've actually got them here in my notes, right? There, there are four criteria, and I, I don't know them off the top of my head, uh, but we could go over them. But those are, the, those are the four criteria that the DOD uses to at least guide the decision about who ends up on the wall. So we reviewed those criteria We reviewed a lot of the work that the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund has done in concert with the DOD, and we said uh, that is a sufficient precedent for our project. That is helpful to us making decisions for our Nebraskans. Uh, So that's, that's really how we, those are the criteria we adopted and how we came about making that decision.
0: I think that's really wise, a process you can point to and point that point to that is defined uh, yeah. and in use and has been in use for a while. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. And again, we recognize it's imperfect. Right. Right. We, we fully understand that. And if at any point in time we have made an error in judgment or decision or process, we're open to that. Please call it to our attention. Let's have the discussion. As you said just a second ago, let's be transparent. Let's keep the lines of communication open and let's do right by the families, the friends, the community, and of course, do right by the heroes. Never forget.
0: Right. So what kind of impact 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now when this thing is built, what's what's mission success? What is... We've talked about it a little bit, right? Never forget but yeah what's the intended impact for you? What's success look like specifically for you here?
1: Yeah so um, so I' I'll, I'll break this down into into three parts really. Um, first and foremost, keeping with the theme or what I'm gonna say is a concern, right And I say that on behalf of the gold star families, the concern, that one day their loved ones, our heroes' names will not be spoken, right? So never forget. Uh, and that is first and foremost the, I guess you could say the, the purpose and the intended effect. Um, and how do we go about achieving never forget? Uh, for those of us who are, fully grown adults, and we can reflect on 9-11, having lived through it. Uh, We have no problem remembering 9-11, but memories fade with time, and perhaps, let's say, memories of Pearl Harbor aren't as salient as they were when Pearl Harbor happened, and for, let's let's say, a handful of years afterwards. Well, 9-11 has the same effect, uh, the global war on terror, odd, because it's been going for more than 20 years, and we have to ask ourselves a question, is it, is it still going? Yeah, it, Yes, we're still active in the war on terror. So in a strange way, even though we have lived through it, it ceases being part of our day-to-day life, and we do need a reminder. And this memorial for those who lived through it, through that time, through that era, is that reminder. Then we have another demographic, people who did not live through the experience, people who were not born yet, and they have seen maybe video footage on TV. They have heard stories, but they don't have that firsthand knowledge, a younger generation. That is really the point of the history lesson on the back face of the, of the memorial, is to ensure that when younger visitors go to this memorial, they can read and understand and ultimately internalize what was 9-11, what impact did it have on the country, and as I stand in Bellevue, Nebraska, what price has Nebraska paid in the war on terror? And we hope to, I keep referring to it as a history lesson. We would love to see schools from wherever turn this into field trips right history field trips where they can take these kids and and teach them living history it's it's right there in front of them it's tangible uh, we think that that is a great measure of success is to ensure that this younger generation understands uh,
0: so a couple of thoughts one uh, I think this was your second point it's GWAT is still very much so alive. Combat operations are happening daily around the world. We're not necessarily... Uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, if you would ask the the normal American citizen, that we, we, we don't have a ton of forces in those areas, but there's yeah. still a lot of other things that we're actively involved in that are risk-of-life type operations, and that's daily around the world. I don't think that the majority of America... Understands that. And then also to your, I think it was your third point, the 18 year old who decides to join the Marine Corps today mm-hmm. was not around for 9 11. Right. So this is a story that has to be told, that this fills a, a void, if you will, that needs to be filled because we're involved in this war as a result, ultimately as a result of this terrorist act. But those that were asking to fight this war, the 18 to 22 year old kids weren't around when it happened. And if they were, it's in their first few years of life, they certainly don't have meaningful memories of it. I've, I can tell you today and tell you the story of what, where, where I was and what I was doing and what Mm -hmm. my family was doing when nine 11 happened. Yeah, of course. That's a very real thing for me. Um, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Great impact points
1: yeah it's so you you bring up a, a really interesting point um, folks who have joined the military who were not even born by 9/11 right born after 9/11 and we have um, in the in the DoD we've we have engaged in uh, some would call it a, a Pacific pivot right we 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 have, uh, I'm going to call it, de-emphasized the war on terror uh, in order to tend to higher priorities, right? The China as a threat, Russia as a threat. Uh, and, and we obviously and definitely need to address those. But to your point, the war on terror has not ceased. It's still going. Um, and, it, it, and on that note, Right, part, of the, part of the history lesson that I've talked about on the, on the back face of the memorial, when we say global war on terror, many Americans are familiar with Iraq and Afghanistan. Almost, right. Al- almost everybody's familiar with that. Probably less familiar with operations conducted across Africa. And even fewer are familiar with the idea that we have conducted operations in the Far East. So when we say global war on terror, we mean global, global, right? Um, okay. So with that said, yeah, back to folks who are joining post nine 11, they weren't even born, they didn't experience it firsthand. They are getting into a military where the focus is and probably needs to be on China, on Russia, but we still have the war on terror going. And the whole point in bringing that up is people who are joining today, right, that 18-year-old fresh out of high school going into the Marine Corps could actually find him or herself engaged in operations in the war on terror. They could still be in Iraq. They could be in or near Syria. They could be spread across the Middle East and Africa still fighting the war on terror. It hasn't gone away. And to that end, again, there's, there's this memorial as a nonstop reminder of what has happened and, because we include the dates on these, on these named operations, right, some year until present or we'll just leave it open-ended. This stuff is still going on and it's important that that younger generation understand because they're getting into it also when they join the military.
0: Are there any specific stories or individuals behind the names on the monument that are particularly meaningful for you?
1: Um. Yeah. So I'll I'll say um, I am, I am fortunate that I do not know any of the names uh, on the wall firsthand, um, but. What I have discovered, what I've realized, uh, not only because I grew up in the military, right, but then served 20 years myself in the military, the world is a small place. Uh, and the military world, of course, is, is even smaller. Um,
0: it's always amazing to me how small it actually is.
1: R- right. Connections pop up when you least expect them. Um, and I, I find that Cool. I I have really embraced that in my life. I just enjoy finding those connections and learning about them. Uh, oh oh man, you you were there at the same time, and we know some of the same people, and it's Great. just it it's just really cool to me. Um. So so with that said, uh, in uh, so I was in Iraq in 2007, and that was the first uh. Battlefield Memorial Ceremony I attended was was in 2007 in Iraq, and uh, and I I did not um, I did not know that one of the individuals we were honoring in that ceremony I did not know at the time that he was a Nebraskan, um, but uh, his name is Corporal Josiah Holopeter. He goes by Joe. And he's, uh, if I remember right, he's from Valentine. And I, like I said, at the time, I I didn't know that there was a Nebraska connection there, but his ceremony was the first I ever attended. Um, And as you might expect, uh, seeing his battlefield cross and that being the, the first ceremony that I attended in a combat zone had a profound impact on me, um, and it wasn't until we started doing research, for for this memorial, um, I saw his name. You got to be kidding me! I, right? Dang.
0: Yep, makes it real. I for atten- sure.
1: I attended this young man's ceremony in Iraq, and all of a sudden, it is, it is real. Um. So that, yeah, that that uh, yeah, like I said, that had a pretty profound effect on me. Um, the other touch point that I had, uh, again at the time, I did not know that, that these guys were uh, were Nebraskans, but uh, so it was uh, twenty eleven, and I'm in Afghanistan. Uh, there is a, a pretty well known incident. About a Chinook that was ostensibly shot down, uh, call sign Extortion One Seven, and uh, Extortion One Seven went down in my area of responsibility, Tangy Valley in the Wardak Province, and uh, and and that is an area that I'm responsible for, right from a, from an intel perspective. Um, extortion One Seven went down uh, and. In that in that single moment we lost 30 Americans and a military working dog. Um, two of the souls on board turned out to be Nebraskans. Again I, I didn't know that at the time but um, of course found out right found out later um, that uh, that these two young men perished uh, on extortion 17 Petty, Petty officer, John Duandara and uh, Staff Sergeant Patrick Hamburger, uh, both Nebraskans, didn't know it at the time. Fast forward several years, I'm doing research, and I see these two names. I'm pretty familiar with many right. of the names on extortion at this point, um, kind of having lived that experience. Uh, and I see these two names, and and it's a you know it's a flashback to to Joe's memorial where. Holy cow! That this is real all over again, right? These are these are Nebraskans. These are folks uh, from from my stomping grounds, uh, and and it really drives home that this is not just a project where you want to give back to the community and honor the the Nebraskan heroes, uh, but it really becomes a calling. It is something that. I'm not just driven to do, but I must do in order to honor the families and the community.
0: Certainly powerful stories, certainly stuff that sticks with you for a long time once you've lived through it just just like 9/11 uh, but being able to have those touch points in history uh, certainly brings the, the meaning and the significance to what to what you're doing. Let's let's pivot a little bit mm-hmm. uh, So you and I both, where, where I met you, uh, is the 50 mile March, right? Yeah. A little less than a month from now. uh, we're, we're recording (laughs) uh, actually a little, yeah, a little less than a month. We're recording this on the 27th of July. Uh, it'll probably get released sometime around September 11th, but the end of August, you and I are walking 50 straight miles from the steps of the Capitol building in Lincoln to Omaha. Uh, and I, I, The first time I saw you, you were one of the few at the qualifying event. So the qualifying event, they test you, make sure you can handle the walk, uh, and very light requirement, 15 pounds on your ruck Mm -hmm. uh, to make it through the qualifier. And there was stuff up front, 15 miles, um, and your pack was gigantic. I, I think your pack alone weighed 15 pounds, Tell us about what's in your pack. Tell us about the significance of what you're rucking with. I think yeah. you were working towards having 72 pounds you got it. for yep. the 50 miles. That's right. right? Yeah. That's nuts.
1: Um, it, uh, yeah, it, it might be nuts. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Y- yeah. You nailed it. So I'm, uh, so I'm going to ruck 72 pounds. Um, which is symbolic of the of the Nebraskans that we lost in the war on terror. Um, I'll carry uh, on the outside of my ruck a roll call a roster of each of those Nebraskans, um, and I've added to it uh, just kind of part of my personal why. Right? Why? Why are you going to march fifty miles? What the heck? Right. Um, part of my personal why is uh, folks I know firsthand, buddies of mine, uh, who have. Died in the line of service, um, just a yeah number number of scenarios, um, and I'll have them on the on the list as well. But that's yeah that's what will be on my ruck. Um, the for the for the fifty mile march, right? We're we're doing this to bring visibility to and to and to directly help veterans in need, right? Homeless veterans, veterans with mental health challenges. Um, and that is of course the, the focus and the primary purpose, but what you find, um, and, and I'm, I'm sure this applies to you. It's, it applies to everybody I've talked to, right. As we, as we condition and as we train for this event, everybody has a very personal why, because at mile 35, when your feet are broken, uh, and your back is hurting and you haven't slept all night and you're pretty darn uncomfortable. You have to dig somewhere. You have to have multiple sources of motivation and inspiration. And for me, a huge source of motivation is 72 Nebraskan heroes.
0: It's Powerful. I should probably start training for that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You should probably get off the couch.
0: Probably. (laughs) How can individuals, communities, if they so choose, how can they connect with you? Uh, all that stuff. Yeah.
1: Um, so uh, so first and foremost, we've got, uh, we built a website. Uh, and of course, part of it is the, we have a, a page within it, right? Dedicated to the, the War on Terror Memorial with, uh, right? Pictures are worth a thousand words, that kind of thing. Um, so all the information is on there.
0: All right, Ed, what else? What have we not talked about that we need to cover?
1: Um, so I want to... Uh, I I want to acknowledge part of the um, part of the path that that got us to kicking off this project. absolutely. Um, so going back to 2017, when when we really got this started, right? We we went to the city council, and we said, "Hey, here's what we want to do." Um, our pitch is zero taxpayer dollars. We will fund design, prototyping, fabrication, installation, maintenance in perpetuity. Right? It's on us. That's, that's our calling. We'll take care of it. So that was, I think, for city council, probably a very easy and unanimous yes, right? And, and that got us off to the races. But right about that time that we went to city council, what we did not realize in our research, uh, and I let me back up from there. Our research showed that there was no, um, what I'm going to call brick and mortar or permanent War on Terror Memorial in Nebraska. Um, uh, you you might be familiar, well, I know you guys are familiar with Bill and Yvonne Williams, Patriotic Productions, right? Mm-hmm. You guys have had Bill on this podcast yep. about a year ago. Um, so they were steeply invested and involved in getting their, uh, their traveling, their mobile Iraq Afghanistan memorial uh, where they wanted it to be. Right, so they they were very heavily involved in that. I bring that up uh, because that that was part of our our inspiration, part of our uh, our motivation to do our project. Um, but to the point, their their memorial travels, right? It, that's its purpose is to be mobile and go to various it's communities. It's not brick and mortar. It's not brick and mortar, and we said, yeah, we we need a permanent memorial, something that something that is ever-present in the community. And what we didn't realize at the time was that uh, in Lincoln, in the uh, Veterans Memorial Garden in Antelope Park, there were Gold Star moms, I, I want to say uh, three Gold Star moms, uh, who were finalizing a brick-and-mortar War on Terror memorial for Nebraska. It was It sounds like really bad timing, uh, but it was perfect timing from my perspective. It was validation that projects like this are the right thing to do. We have Gold Star Moms putting this together. They unveiled uh, what on November 11th, 2017. They unveiled the memorial in Lincoln. And I thought this is... Yes. Yes. This validates what we're doing. We can have a, a war on terror memorial in Lincoln. We can have one in Bellevue. We can, we can have as many war on terror memorials as we want so that we never forget. It was, it was just a huge point of validation for me that uh, that yes, the, the community needs this and and we are doing the right thing by pursuing the project. Uh, so Hats off to them for the for the inspiration, um, and showing us that things like this can be done.
0: Yeah, don't don't stand in the way of a gold star mom. Absolutely. Period. Yeah, yeah. What else?
1: In retrospect, this has probably been a fault of mine, um, just a a limitation kind of in how I work. Um, but I I have been very uh, reticent to cold call, or cold contact, gold star families, um, I I have some unsubstantiated concern or fear that I will stir up memories unnecessarily uh, and and do more harm than good. I, I, emotionally, I feel that, but intellectually, I don't think that's the case. Well, I
0: think intellectually the answer there is that every single family that has lost somebody yeah. wants to talk wants to wants to share their story and I say yes. every single one it's probably 80 20 right there's some yeah, that, yeah, but it's every single one that I have spoken with wants to spend the time wants wants me to ask questions about their loved one that died in war yeah, a- and that story is a story that we should never forget
1: yeah yeah I I think you hit the nail on the head right and that's what my my experience in this project has led to the The opportunities I've had to speak with some of the gold star families, um, and, and and loved ones, right, and, and friends and whatnot, uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. They they want to talk. They want to never forget. They want to keep that name alive in memory and in spoken word. They want to get the the story out there. Um, and so one of one of the things that uh, that we have done within the probably the last couple of years um, is connected with a, with a gentleman named Jim Meyer uh, of he uh, is, I guess president might be his right title um, of the honor and remember Nebraska chapter. So this organization funds gold star flags with the hero's name on the flag. Uh, and they present these to gold star families. Um, not limited to the war on terror, right? Right. Just in any Gold conflict, star. any service, right. right? Whatever. Um, and so, so I've been in contact with Jim over the last couple of years, um, and he he has done a phenomenal job of connecting with, obviously, with the Gold Star families. Uh, and so we need to, we really need to leverage that and partner better with him in order to bring more of the Gold Star families into the fold, right? Our, our intent is at the unveiling, whenever that may be.
0: I was just going to mention the unveiling and we, you, we, the community needs to have as many Gold Star families in, in attendance as, as possible.
1: Yep. Yeah. And this is not, we, we envision that it's not just a, an open invite. Hey, please attend. It is no, I'm, I'm calling you and, and out of, passion for the project and the sacrifices that you and your loved ones have endured. We would be honored if you would attend the event, right? right? It, it's a very personal thing. It's not just a, Oh, I heard on the radio that right. I'm invited. No, no, it's, it's very personal. Um, and I, on the note of gold star families, I, I do need to clarify one of the things that we talked about on the back face of the memorial, right? The, the last panel on the right hand side, is reserved for for Gold Star families, right? And even though this is a war on terror memorial, we've been very careful, um, as, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, we've been very careful to be as inclusive as we can be, yet set some practical limits to the scope of this project. Uh, so so those, that panel that honors Gold Star families is not at all limited to war on terror gold star families it is it is inclusive it is all nebraska's gold star families right um so that's that's just part of of what we incorporated into the memorial and i thought that deserves some clarification absolutely yeah
0: good deal well hey ed i appreciate your time today uh thank you for coming out thank you for uh making the time to come chat with us about everything that you're doing and uh if you're listening drive safe and that's it for today
1: yeah, awesome brother. Thanks so much for the time.
0: Heck yeah. So that should uh, wrap up our here our our Vet Voices podcast here for Warner Enterprises team. Thanks so much for listening today. The brave men and women of the United States armed forces and our allies all over the world, we salute you. Make sure to buckle up and drive safe out there.